for here. Um, so much stuff I want to do with this text, with this message. Uh, you know that that I'm excited about the stuff I've learned and excited about the stuff I've studied and that I really, I kind of want to do it all. And Lord, I, I, I ask that you would cut through the, the chaos in my head and uh, bring, uh, just bring a clear message, uh, bring a clear uh, truth uh, to these folks. And that clear truth being that, that Jesus Christ died for us, that uh, we're saved by grace, that by no act of our own, by nothing that happens to us, um, by us, around us, through us, in us, anything, Lord, that none of that stuff um, makes us makes us acceptable to you, makes us clean, makes us good, makes us worthy or valuable, um, that only in Jesus Christ, only in your Son, um, are we something worth having, um, something, something worth being, Lord, that, that you love us so much that, that anything um, and anyone and anywhere, uh, you would love us anyway and that you follow us and care for us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, okay, so I prayed about it. I'm going to let you all know uh, there is a small amount of uh, chaos happening in my head at the moment. Uh, this is not a crazy thing, though it might come across that way. Um, I uh, had to break this text up into two parts uh, because um, there's so much cool stuff here. And actually, this is one of those weird instances where in the process of researching this, I came across a question that was so big and difficult, I couldn't get my head around it, and I studied, and I read, and I researched, and I actually came up with the, the cool idea of, like, I, I sent an email to a, a very prominent college professor, rabbi, in, you know, and, and asked him some questions, and he hasn't gotten back to me. Stay right there. I told you to sit down, boy. You came up here. It's your fault. Are you embarrassed? Um, I, I, uh, to, to kind of find answers, and he said he would get back to me, but I haven't heard back yet, which isn't his fault. It's just busy because he's a college professor, I guess. Um, so, uh, but there's so much stuff here. And even this morning as I was trying to come up with an illustration, I, I realized something huge about the text that I had missed. And, and so before I start, I'm going to talk about the idea of um, what makes us clean and what makes us dirty? Are you all with me? Um, for example, we know some things make us dirty. My daughter, uh, who is a wonderful young woman, uh, this last Sunday went out and played in the mud. She came into the house, and I would not have known this. Well, I would have known it because I was going to find the handprints. But um, Josh helpfully informed me that Abby had played in the mud, and I came and found her, and she was chocolate-covered up to her elbows. I mean, just super muddy. And she had written on the side of the house in mud and everything else, because when my daughter comes into contact with mud, it makes her dirty, right? Um, we have learned this year that if you come into contact with people who have weird viruses, you may well get a weird virus, even if it's Christmas Eve. Um, like, like, we understand the idea of getting dirty or getting infected or getting, you know, exposed to something undesirable. And, and I want to talk about this. And actually, I have an illustration. This is, hopefully, one day an award-winning photograph from Craig Edwards. He has entered it into a number of contests. 
and he has uh, laughed quite a bit when I, I talked to him about this, that, that most of the responses he has gotten have been multiple pages, what were you thinking? Or <laughs> it is entitled Good Versus Evil, right? And my handsome young assistant is going to take the small copy of it and walk around and show it to you all. Go on, bubs. Thank you for being so wonderful and helpful. Um, it is, of course, a donut. Uh, I think actually Jessica took a photo of it on its side because it's supposed to be turned slightly. But it is a donut in the mud, right? Um, now, apart from like in the Bon Miller shop, nobody's going to pick up a pastry like this and try to eat it, right? Um, right am I anybody? Josh, would you eat this? <laughs> it depends on what kind of donor it is. And Helios would eat it because Helios is a hero. But we would all assume that after eating something like this, you would probably have to brush your teeth, right? We look at the picture and we assume the donut has been made dirty by its presence in the mud. Everybody with me? Um, and we are going to talk about descending into the mud and the uncleanliness, cleanliness factor. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. Um, we have been Acts for a few weeks. Uh, we took a break for Easter. I did not put the end verse, so we'll see where we end here. Um, and what's going on at this point in the book? And actually, this is important too, um, because Acts, written by Luke the doctor, is brilliant. It is just one of the most amazing, intricate, well-thought-out books with themes and subtexts and ideas and stuff hidden in it. It is so exciting. Um, and at the point that we're picking up, um, Paul has gone off to his hometown, uh, Tarsus, to hide out, and he's left the story for about a decade. And the church is experiencing peace, and my son is literally circulating through every pew, um, <laughs> doing his job well, uh, and tripping over people and stepping on them. Um, but so Paul has left and Luke has begun. All right, you can sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. And pay attention because if I catch you sleeping, I'll make you do something else. Um, he has, uh, Peter has begun his ministry work with the gent or in, in the coast, right? So like he's gone up to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And he's going from place to place doing ministry. And we have two accounts, which we talked about last week. I'm going to do this as quick as I can, Right. He healed a lame man, and he brought a woman named Tabitha, whose um, Greek name, does anybody remember it? Dorcas, that's right. Uh, he brought her to life. And what we talked about last week, and if you missed it and you want to watch it, like it's on the Facebook page, okay? And it, it's on the podcast on Apple and all that other stuff. Or if you go to the sermon site, it's on there. You can listen to it. Um, these two miracles were direct copies of miracles that Jesus performed. And Luke brings it out in the wording and in the emphasis, right? And it's a very obvious occurrence that, like, Peter is following in Jesus' footsteps in the same way my child might be following in my big ham, like, short attention span kind of footsteps by wandering around the room with the picture and stepping on people's feet and pushing his way through and everything else, right? Uh, and smiling and holding it up again. Um, Jesus' Jesus' footsteps preceded him, um, and it's all the way down to when he brings Tabitha to life, he uses almost the same phrase that Jesus used. Jesus said, little girl, arise, which is Talitha Kume. And then 
Peter commands Tabitha, Dorcas, right? And everybody's calling her Dorcas, and then he calls her Tabitha, which is interesting. Um, he says, Tabitha, kume, which is almost the same phrase even. And so, like, Luke is putting this in there, and he is saying, guys, he's doing exactly what Jesus did, right? We're going to get back to that. Don't forget it, okay? It's important. There's so much cool stuff here, and I really want to do this right. But we're going to pick up. So, afterwards, it came known all throughout Joppa... And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Now, it's easy to read many days and assume it was a week or two weeks. The phrase here um, might actually even mean several years. Like, he stayed there a long time. The strongest, safest read is probably a few months. But he was not there for a short amount of time. And we hear that, and we're like, oh, he was a tanner. He probably owned a tanning salon, which would be inaccurate. Um, Tanners, actually, I read in the Talmud. Uh, The Talmud is like the commentary on the the law from from the rabbis, right? There was one rabbi who was a tanner who became a rabbi uh, that contributed to the Talmud. And he said, um, you're going to need, you know, society will always need apothecaries, which are like pharmacists and tanners. But blessed be the one who becomes a pharmacist, and woe to the one who becomes a tanner. Um, Tanners were the bottom of the barrel, right, Um, in a lot of ways. There were a lot of bottom of the barrels in Jewish society. But tanners held a special place because tanning leather is disgusting, like really disgusting. Um, It is a process that involved the collection of things like urine. And you had dung collectors who would go around and collect feces from the roads and outhouses and everything, and you used it in the process, and animal brains, and all kinds of other stuff, and it took about a year to tan a hide. It is such a bad job that if a man did it once in his life, any component of it, so like if you one day said to your friend, yeah, I'll go around town and collect the urine pots Uh, from the community for you because you're sick today, I'll go do that. One day, 10 years later, you're married and your wife says, you know what? You did the tanning work for one day. I'm divorcing you. And it was the, the only instance where a man could be compelled to give like a, a certificate of divorce, like, because It was such an awful job. There's actually the story of a woman who, in the Talmud again, of a woman who sets out, like she's married to a a tanner, and he dies. And she's either going to be a widow and, like, destitute and poor, or she has to marry his brother, who is also a tanner. And she said to him, and I quote, I married your brother. I put up with him and his work. I'm not putting up with you and the same work. And she chose to be a widow and poor instead. Like, it is an awful awful job. They were exempt from temple days because they smelled bad all the time. So Peter is staying in the home of a man whose house has to be far enough out of town that no one can smell it. Everybody with me? A house where everyone stank. A house where there would be vats of urine in the yard. Right? Almost as bad as having teenagers. Come on, that was teenage boys. Is that better? (laughs) Um, 
And so he's staying with a tanner. Now, a lot has been made of this, and this is kind of where I got stuck, whether or not this was an unclean, ceremonially unclean thing for him to do. I don't know. I'm not really sure it matters because it was gross, right? And part of me wondered, why did Peter stay with the tanner? And I suspect a big chunk of it had to do with the fact that the tanner was probably the first person to ask. And Jesus told his disciples, if a man asks you to stay at his house, stay there until it's time to move on, even if someone with a better house offers. And so Peter stayed at the tanner's house. Wonderful. At Caesarea, so Tanner in Joppa is about 30 miles south of Caesarea. Caesarea is a Gentile community. There are very, very few Jewish people there. It is super pagan land, right? It is like Disney World, only less holy. Um, They've got a theater, and they've got like a circus, and they've got, I mean, like all kinds of great stuff. It is an amazing place. You can still go there, what's left of it, Um, but it's Caesarea. And so like... Um, There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, um, a devout man who feared God with all his household um, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius. So before we jump into the conversation he has with the angel, we're going to touch on a couple things. Number one, he is a pagan. He's a centurion. He's living in pagan land. And he is a man who feared God and he's devout. This is Jewish code language. It means that he is what's called a God-fearer. You could convert to become Jewish. And there were a lot of Roman citizens who were exhausted by the pagan culture and the licentiousness and licentiousness and like the loose morals and everything else. And they rebelled and they became Jewish, weirdly enough. And there were a lot of Jewish converts in Rome, which paved the way for Christianity. And this is a guy who is a Jewish convert almost. Because it sometimes took years to reach the point where they accepted you, and you had to do ritual washing, and then there was that, like, uh, circumcision thing that a lot of guys kind of were slow to take on for whatever reason. And so, Cornelius is there. He is almost a Jew, but he would not be accepted in the Jewish community, and he would never be treated as clean. You all with me? He is living in a community that is unclean. How do we know it's unclean? Because it's a pagan community. They had, like, churches to pagan gods, and they would sacrifice meat to them. And if you went to the market and bought meat, you probably were going to get something that would sacrifice to an idol. And so a Jewish man could not eat in anyone's house, right? Because if you went to a pagan's house and ate a meal, it would definitely make you unclean. Either because the food you were served was unclean or because it was prepared incorrectly or because the utensils used to prepare it had been used to prepare something unclean before. It was impossible for a Jewish man to eat in a pagan's home or to associate with a pagan and not be made unclean. And so Caesarea is like off limits for the Jews. Um, there are a few of them there, but just not that many. And so this man, Cornelius, is praying, and he's devout, which means he's a God-fearer. He's on his way to being converted, and he gives alms generously to the poor. There are three things that a Jewish man is supposed to do, right? Like the three pathways to holiness. They are prayer, um, giving money to the poor, and fasting. Fasting isn't mentioned here, but if it was, it'd be an indication that Cornelius was not doing it right. And so there's probably, I mean, it's an argument from ignorance, which is not a strong argument, 
But there is somewhat of a case to be made for the idea that the guy is really trying to be Jewish. And so an angel comes to him and says, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. Terror means um, like reverential fear. Um, does that make sense? It's, it's a little like, uh, I mean, heck, it's an angel, right? And so he's taking God seriously. He's following, you know, following God, like trying to become Jewish. And an angel comes to him and he's like, oh, wow. Uh, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Love that phrase, a memorial before God. It's an Old Testament phrase. Right? And it's an Old Testament phrase that refers to sacrifices. If you offered a sacrifice, a burnt offering to God, God would breathe in the smell of it. It was like a memorial offering. It was a good scent in God's nose. Um, is the idea that was presented in the Old Testament. And so it's presenting this idea that he is killing it at the Jewish thing. But he's still not one of them. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't matter how hard he tries. He ain't getting there. He's a little like my donut, Craig's donut. I didn't ask him if he ate it. If you see him, ask him, okay? All of you. Um, take that donut, and if it's in the mud, no matter what you do to it while it's in the mud, it ain't getting any cleaner, Right? Or like one of those awesome little sugar cookies. You know, if it's on the shop floor, it's basically a part of the dirt. Right? And there ain't no taking it out. And we're going to pause here, and I'm willing to bet, like, because this is a spiritual thing happening here. Um, and I'm guessing that most of us have been in this spot. Have you all ever been in the mud and backed up and realized, I'm going to be muddy forever? You get those pictures that pop up in your mind, and you're like, that is going to be in my head for the rest of my life. Those words, those weird little secrets you got buried in the yard. Everything's buried in the yard if you talk to me, by the way. That's a recurring thing in my phrasing. Because um, when bad things happen and we try to ignore it, what do we do? Well, if you're a farmer, you bury it in the yard. The problem, of course, being that it doesn't go away, Right? Like, we all have this stuff, the things that we've done, the things that we've done to us, like that have been done to us, the things that are a part of our family history, the things that stain us and remind us that we will never, ever, ever be clean. And we live in the mud sometimes because of it. So, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Not because he's holy, not because he's circumcised, not because he's doing anything other than loving God and worshiping him. He's not circumcised. He's not been ritually washed to enter the temple. He's never been to the temple. He wouldn't be allowed in the front door. As a memorial before God, this man in the mud. And now send men to Joppa. And bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier. Now, if we read this according to the language, a devout soldier is also a God-fearer, right? So he calls in his two men who attend to him and his God-fearer from among those who attended him, uh, and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So we have a man who is unclean, right? And he sends people to go and get Peter who is living with a man whose house smells like urine and dung. I cannot emphasize that enough because it's going to be funny in a minute. Watch it. It's the best joke built into this text because I'm not sure if Luke has a sense of humor or if Peter put it, you know, wanted to emphasize it or if it's just that the Holy Spirit thinks it's funny. Whatever, it is there. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on top of the housetop and about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by the four corners upon the earth. Okay, so Peter's on top of the house of a tanner. Um, I'm guessing the house, being that it's the house of a tanner, the nicest place is on the roof. Right? Because <laughs> the wind blows across it and it's open air and it rains up there sometimes and that's probably the best part. Plus the smell from the sea might overrun the smell from everything else. Um, y'all are in Montana. The sea has a really strong smell and it's pleasant. Um, come on. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, all right. He became hungry. He wanted something to eat. So he's waiting for something to eat. By the way, the sixth hour is not a mealtime. It's about noon, but they didn't eat like in the Jewish world, you would eat mid-morning, and then you would eat late in the day. And so it's not mealtime. Maybe he skipped breakfast. We don't know. Um, but he gets hungry, and he's waiting for them to make something, and he's praying, and he falls into a trance. And he sees a sheet lower. Um, there's a couple of thoughts about this. It might just be the way God did the vision. It's also possible that it was a covered roof because it was really common when the sun was high, you would want to have a canopy on top of your roof. And some of the roofs in the ancient world would have this canopy on top to give you a little bit of shade. And so he's laying there and he looks up and there's a sheet over him and that might have been a part of the vision, right? Kind of a cool idea. Might have been a ship out in the, you know, harbor because he's right there. We don't know. Um, one way or the other, a sheet lowers and the four corners, which, by the way, probably refers to the four corners of the world, meaning everywhere, right? So he's at the Tanner's house. He has a vision. A sheet lowers. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Where's he at? He's at a tanner's house. The place reeks of urine. The guy has a job where he regularly has to go out in the yard and stomp on dead animal hides with his bare feet for four or five consecutive hours with animal brains or poo or whatever And he's like, oh, no, I ain't eating a pig. That's too unclean for me. That's ironic, isn't it? Don't you think? Um, We're going to jump real quick. So Peter, being a good Jewish man, um, is still following the Jewish cleanliness laws. Oh, my goodness. 
there's just no way to do it all. Um, in Leviticus, we find sort of a little explanation here. Um, so this is Leviticus 20. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 22. This is a command from God. He says, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you. And they did, for they did all these things, uh, and therefore I detested them. The previous section talks about sexual immorality and stuff like that and all of these, like, perversions and things that he's saying. Don't do any of this stuff. And then he's like, these guys who are there have done all of these immoral acts, and I'm getting rid of them because I detest them because of their sin. They're filthy, right? But... I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast, or by bird, or by anything with which the ground calls, which uh, crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold clean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy to you. Have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Now watch what just happened there. Because um, a good Jewish man to this day will follow that rule. They will only eat certain meals prepared in certain ways. And then actually the rabbis came along and they multiplied it. And it got so much bigger and more insane. And it was impossible to eat. It was impossible. And so what we're missing, though, is that what God says is the people of the land were sinful. They did all kinds of wicked stuff. I'm putting them out of the land. Don't do what they did. Therefore, eat only these foods. Because though the food was a command, it was also a reminder that you aren't them. They're like pigs, we're like cows. You got it? How is a pig different than a cow? Well, the hooves and these other things. That seems kind of ridiculous. It's a reminder. Um, the purpose of the cleanliness laws was to remind them that they aren't to be unclean like the rest of the world. That they're not to mix in and become like everyone else. I'm going to have to start just talking the text loosely because we're going to run out of time here. Um, so um, don't be like them. And so, like, we come across this idea that the cleanliness laws were just to remind them, be holy because your God is holy. Right? That's like uh, Josh can play the Big Sandy fight song on the trumpet, sort of. The Big Sandy song, the football team song on the trumpet. Abby can sing it. I don't think Josh can sing it. Um, but do they need that song to be from Big Sandy? No. Why do they sing it? To remember that they're not from Loma. Loma. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, it's a reminder. And it is a command, so they have to follow the command. But the command is to remind them, do this thing. Do it this way. It has a purpose. Um, the problem is the Jews eventually reached a point where they forgot that. And actually, there's a great account where Jesus is with his disciples, and his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And the Pharisees are like, they didn't sing happy birthday and stick their hands in the water. 
How can God love someone like that? How are you letting your disciples be sinful like that? And Jesus turns to him and he says, hey, what goes in you through your mouth is not what makes you unclean. What comes out of your mouth is what makes you unclean. What's in your heart makes you unclean. What makes you like unclean before God is wickedness. It's not the mud. The mud is a reminder, right? And so Peter is there. He's arguing in the dirtiest place he could possibly be arguing. I can't eat that stuff. It'll make me dirty. And what God says to him is, and the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the things were taken up at once into heaven. This is commonly read as a pure reference to food. But in Leviticus, it's not about food, is it? What's it about? It's about not being like the world. Don't be like the world. Don't eat what they eat. Don't stand too close to them. They will make you dirty. It's like jumping in the mud or dropping your donut in your mud or your cookie on the shop floor. It will make it dirty. Don't do it. And here we are. Um, Like, it's a reminder. And these guys, like, so Peter's in this spot where he's like, oh, wow, like, I can't eat that. It'll make me unclean. All the people around me know this. If I eat this, it'll make me unclean. But in reality, it was just a reminder about other people. Now, when Jesus comes along, it gets flipped on its head because Jesus had the amazing ability to walk into the mud and make the mud clean. The best example of this, and I told John about this this morning, and I knew it was going to come up. Um, Jesus is walking through a crowd of people one day, right? He is on his way to a house where he's about to bring a little girl back to life by saying, Talitha Kumei, right? On his way there, he's walking through a crowd of people, and a woman sneaks up in the crowd and touches his robe. Now, this is a crowd of people, and they're all crushed against him. This woman had an issue of blood, is what it says in the King James Version. Basically, she had her period all the time for years. That seems horrible on its own. I'm not a woman. I do not envy any of y'all. You're so much better than us. That is the worst thing ever. Um, But Jews considered that unclean. So when a woman had her period, she was unclean. And so this is a woman who could never participate in religious life. She was forever separated from God because she was dirty. She was in the mud. And the mud went with her everywhere. And everybody knew it. And so people would avoid touching her because she was unworthy of being touched. And she walks up to Jesus in the crowd and touches him. For a Jewish man to be touched by this woman means they would become unclean. But she touches Jesus and she is healed and made clean. Because the difference between us encountering the mud and Jesus, God's son, encountering the mud is that Jesus makes it clean. I got to use the joke. I'm sorry. Chuck Norris jumps in the water. He doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris, right? Jesus is so holy, he encounters the unclean and he fixes it. And so what we're going to see here is Peter is going to be approached by a man. um, Actually, we'll do the next verse. 
Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gates and called out to him to ask him whether Simon was called Peter was lodging there. I totally butchered that text. Um, so they go around town. They're like, hey, where's this Simon Peter guy? Where is he staying? And they're like, follow your nose. You can't miss it. Um, and they show up and they're like, hey, you here? Peter's about to go to like pagan Disneyland and evangelize like a God fear. And that God fear is going to be made clean, not because he's circumcised, not because he's following dietary laws, not because he's washed himself in a bathtub, not because he came from the right place, not because he has the right family, not because he's never done anything wrong, not because bad things have never happened to him, but because Jesus will come into contact with this unclean man and make him clean. Because he carried Cornelius' sins on the cross. In the same way that he carried your sins on the cross. In the same way that he carried my sins on the cross. And so I stand before God myself, you know, awful. If you all knew me halfway, you would know I'm awful. And everybody would stomp out of here and say, how can that hypocrite speak? And in reality, I don't have anything worth saying. It's only Jesus. Those of you guys who have done abhorrent things or thinking abhorrent things that are flashing in your head while I'm talking about that, this, you know, those things that sneak up on you while you're laying in bed at night, two o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep and you're remembering it, that stuff, Jesus touches that stuff and it's clean, touches you and you're clean the filth and the hurt and the nasty things that you've said and people have said to you, clean. Which, it might be incidental, but Peter raises a person from the dead. And in the very next section, he goes out and starts making the unclean clean. Whereas Jesus brought someone back to the dead after he made the unclean clean. They might be connected. It would follow the pattern. I don't know. Um, what I do know is, if you're going to draw anything out of what I'm saying today, it's that encountering Christ cleans you inside and out. Every broken thing is made right. That's why we do communion. Communion is a reminder that Jesus carried our sins on his back, that by his stripes we're healed. On the last day before Jesus was betrayed, his disciples gathered up for a final meal and he gave them his bread, and he gave him his cup, and he said, take this and eat. It's my body. Take it and drink. It is my blood. And we do it because we need to remember, and we need to remember every day. It is not what you do. It is not who you stand near. It is not what the mud in your yard looks like, and whether or not it's nicer than the mud in the neighbor's yard. It's, is Jesus inside you? And so we're doing communion a little different right now. We're not passing. We have to line up and all that. We're coming up on the end of hopefully this weird way of doing things. But I want to encourage you all, like, uh, who's my volunteer for the day? Titus. No, I can't do that. Can I? Right here. One at a time. Let the rows go to come up and take communion. Just come and line up. Go slow, bub, so that we don't have a line all the way out the door. Um, Stop. No. All right, go sit down. I need somebody else to do it. Jeremy, can Titus help you please, Jeremy?
All right, come on up and Jeremy will teach you. Turn around and go with him. Sorry, guys. Because I believe as Jesus taught his disciples to heal people and taught his disciples about what is 